Bienvenidos and welcome to the Voces Podcast. My name is Ana Lucia Lopez Raboredo, and I am your host. Today's guest is Pablo Dweck. Pablo was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and in 2001, he decided to explore the United States for one month, which extended to a trip that has lasted for more than 20 years. His passion and love of music evolved into becoming an experienced and beloved professional cantor. For the last 35 years, he has served members of four congregations in Buenos Aires and California. Pablo's adventurous spirit led him to explore countless destinations while meeting new people and living memorable experiences. He truly believes that traveling is a great way to get to know a new version of yourself. Pablo is an out-of-the-box guy, being empathetic, sensitive, fun, and down-to-earth, all trademarks of the way in which he interacts with people. Those qualities inspire him to make each concert, life cycle event, and trip unique and memorable. In 2021, after 20 fruitful years of being the cantor at Temple Etz Chaim in Thousand Oaks, California, Pablo created his own project, The Rockin' Cantor, in which he performs B'nai Mitzvah, wedding ceremonies, baby namings, concerts, you name it, and more. Today, he lives in Simi Valley, California with his wife, Julieta, and his three children, Carmel, Dalia, and Ilan. Welcome, Pablo. It's so great to have you on our show. Thank you very much, Ana Lucia. Great to be here. So let's go ahead and get started. Please, I'd love for you to add anything else that I missed, because I've got a lot of questions about you becoming the rock and canter. So before we go ahead and get into that space, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to you and, and give you the opportunity to add anything else that our listeners should know about you. Great. I was raised in a conservative uh, family, when I say conservative family, Jewish family that did not necessarily was observant. And I was, I attended a Jewish day schools, Betel congregation, seminario, rabbinico, Latino-Americano, Latin American rabbinical seminary. And uh, at the age of uh, 16 years old, I began embracing my, my career that I love, which is cantorial hazanut. But I'm going a little fast. Let me backtrack a little bit and tell you that I lived there for uh, 30 years of my life, got married, and later on, I emigrated to the United States, most precisely Thousand Oaks, California, where I live right now. And uh, as we know, life is quite a journey. Uh, You plan things, and then other things happen. And then you ask yourself again, am I happy where I am? Do I want to do something different? Can I do something different? So I feel blessed that have a partner and, and friends and a supportive family that they encourage me to pursue my dreams. But to begin as an introduction, what I can tell you is I feel my Latin roots connected to Argentina and at the same time being able to be here for 20 years plus. Also, I have a, a new and, and, and different uh, view of, of the world and from Judaism here in the States. Thank you, Pablo. And really what I'm hearing is that you are a citizen of the world, someone that's informed by many cultures, not just the one from where you're from, right? But also the ones in which you've traveled to and where you currently live. So there's so many pieces that now have influenced who you are. And I can really relate to that. And perhaps that kind of being, that kind of way of connecting to so many different identities started at home 
I, I know that you come from a Syrian Argentine community. And I'm curious if you have any memories from when you were growing up of how specifically growing up in a multicultural Argentine home influenced the way in which you connect to Jews from different ethnic backgrounds and also people of just different cultural backgrounds. What I remember and treasure fondly is uh, that the language spoken most of the time from grandparents and some of the people on the table was Arabic. I didn't understand Arabic. There was uh, background music, which was Arabic music, not necessarily Jewish. Uh, so the language, the food, and and the and the music. So we are talking about uh, several senses there that were involved. And for me, that was a synonym of a loving experience. And uh, the way that affected me simply is when I meet other people, Arab people, um, non-Jewish, my approach is, is, is open and confident and, and comfortable. Uh, there's no, um, I, I don't put up my defenses at all because of that experience. Now, even though my family is a Syrian family, Aleppo from my father's side and Damascus from my mother's side, still there are Ashkenazi uh, family, if we trace back uh, some generations. And I was sent to a school, a Jewish school, and I participated in Jewish groups and so on, where we were mixed together with, with uh, other Jewish people, mostly Ashkenazi. And, uh, but I do recall going to uh, Yom Kippur in Day of Atonement, High Holidays, going to visit my grandfather's synagogue and, and witnessing all that, and also going to other temples where my family attended that was fairly different. All those experiences nurtured me and helped me uh, have a, an interesting vision of, of diversity. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that memory. Uh, I, I think you confirm just how powerful early childhood experiences are in the way in which we interpret the world. And you are someone who has been given many lenses in which to interpret the world, right? You've got that Argentine lens, but also that Jewish Argentine lens, and even more so that Syrian Argentine Jewish lens. And now the American one, like you're, you're really able to look at things from so many angles. And, and I think that that's the beauty of diasporic Jewry. And so now that you've give, been given all of these opportunities, specifically to live in the U.S. and in Argentina, I'm curious if there are any things that stick out to you really strongly as being things that are different and things that are similar. Very interesting question, which opens a lot of windows here and there. Uh, the first thing that come, comes to my mind is idiosyncrasies, uh, as you well know, uh, Ana Lucia. People in Latin American countries, we tend to gravitate towards family uh, a lot. I'd say a little more or more than a little more than, than Americans, simply because that's our culture. In my experience and what I recall, um, except for the last 15 years, more or less, in Buenos Aires, people tend to stay in the city, regardless of the economic or social situation, uh, meaning that you expect families to be together, to, to gather together in holidays, uh, celebrations, birthdays, and so on. So <clears throat> having said this, that there is a difference in idiosyncrasy, when I 
uh, arrived to the States and I began uh, working as a full-time cantor uh, in a conservative shul, there were things that I loved. And I said, wow, this is amazing. How come we don't have these things in Argentina? For example, the respect for uh, the, the, the worker, the employee, paying everybody in time. As something as simple as that. You may think, well, how come in other countries you don't pay in Argentina? It was not like that. In Argentina, a rabbi or a cantor, we were always paid under the table in, 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 in black, meaning that uh, if I wanted to have uh, health insurance, I needed to pay that from my own money, never having any particular benefit. And if you ask for that, they will say, we don't do that uh, here, so go elsewhere, which is not uh, nice. Uh, which is not fair. And uh, in the States, it was exactly the opposite. There is a recognition for your work, for your preparation, for your studies. There is a respect uh, for your for the employee in general. There is a commitment from the leaders that I really admired. When I say commitment, I'm talking about the monthly board meetings that you will find that in, in congregations and institutions in Latin America as well. But what I recall is usually the president of uh, institution in Argentina was mostly someone with, with brains, someone with time, but mostly someone with deep pockets. If you don't have deep po big pockets and money, forget it. You will never be a president of an institution. And what I've seen in the States it's nothing to do like that. You you really, you can become a president, you can become part of the board uh, and have a very important role in the destinies of an institution by simply showing leadership, commitment, and love for what you do. So more democratic and more open, which I definitely love. Yeah, I, I was nodding my head at a lot, specifically the piece around how different it is to leave home or to leave the city in which your family lives, because that is not a typical thing that Latin Americans do. We, we stay close for a lot of reasons, in particular, uh, dinners, <laughs> making sure that we're able to go home for whatever dinner is going to be served. Definitely Shabbat dinners. And, and also the piece around pay. I think it's something that a lot of people don't know. And it's important that people know, especially when they're wanting to figure out ways in which to support our global Jewish communities and I think fair pay is one of the ways that we need to be talking about more, more frequently about and more loudly. Uh, and that last piece around the democratic process of leadership, uh, I think that's also very accurate. Money or having access to money is a tool for power. And in the U.S., I definitely do think that while it still has a role, there is opportunities. There are many opportunities for people who want to lead to be able to do so. So thank you for, for sharing all of that. Now, I'd love to transition a bit to the Hazanut, right? Your profession, your beloved profession as a Hazan. And for those who don't know, a Hazan is a Jewish musician or a cantor who helps lead the congregation in songful prayer. And this is my favorite part of any Jewish experience. It's the music. So I want to go straight into it and ask, where does the story begin for Pablo Dweck becoming the Hazan? I always loved music and I always felt moved at, uh, at an early age. When I was 16, 15, 16 years old, I was 
bored after coming back from an amazing uh, Jewish camp for a month. And I began looking for simple jobs around home. I couldn't find anything. And my mother said, Pablo, I've seen that in the seminario where you're studying uh, Hebrew and so on. They are looking for a Hazan in a small congregation outside Buenos Aires. I said, well, thank you, but I'm not a Hazan. Well, don't worry about it. You, you, you sing beautifully. You're taking singing lessons and, and, and you master Hebrew as well. So why don't you give it a try? So I'm super grateful to my mother because she encouraged me to go and have an interview. And after that interview, they said, yeah, you're hired. That's what we need. Exactly. A young guy like you that can help us. Friday nights here and there, like holidays. And I began a path there. Two years in a small congregation, five in another one, eight in another one, nine, and then 20 here in California. So I did not know that I was going to be a cantor. I was studying after high school uh, psychology, which I uh, have a degree, a master degree in psychology. I knew halfway through that career in the University of Buenos Aires that I was not going to do that, that my passion was and continue being being with people, singing and, and leading. And uh, instead of attending to a formal cantorial school, at that time there was none in Buenos Aires, I began to study by myself uh, with uh, other professionals, uh, teachers, uh, colleagues, uh, learning from cassettes. And slowly I began learning more and more but but the experiences that really made me grow were the ones that put me on the spot okay you have to officiate a funeral for the first time well i i don't know how to so myself i tried my best and as did more and more of these ceremonies at a young age i felt more confident uh, being a hazan is not only of course about singing it's about comforting people i remember that uh, I felt awkward. What do I do? What do I say when I try to comfort someone that lost a loved one? I thought that I had to say something important, grandiose. And then through the years, I learned that the most important thing is to be present. So I'm very grateful for this profession because it allows me uh, the chance to be at, uh, at the highest moments of joy of people like a bar mitzvah, like wedding, a chuppah. High holidays in very important moments in the Jewish uh, calendar, and also accompanying them in moments of real struggle. Truly, from the highest to the lows, it's people like yourself who support us, the Jewish community, in navigating all the different life cycles that we will experience as humans. So, thank you. Now, I want to I want to dig a little deeper into your passion for being a Hazan, because you've said you've always loved music, and perhaps this is why you started this persona of the rock and canter. So for many people, that's how they know you. And I'd love to give you the opportunity to share with the listeners who the rock and canter is, what he does. Give us all the info. The rock and canter is a project that, he, that if you go to the rock in, no G, rockincanter.com, you will find uh, myself, Hazan Pablo Dweck, uh, offering a variety of life cycle events uh, for you to have me. I'm officiating uh, wedding ceremonies, bay mitzvahs, assisting people with bereavement, baby namings, and so on. And what I believe, Ana Lucia, is that we should always explore different avenues of expression. And in these cases, we can pray through rock and roll as well, through Beatles material, this and that. 
And the important thing is the kavana. The kavana is a beautiful uh, concept in Hebrew that speaks about and means intention. What's our intention? So many times you see Jewish people all around the world praying with the given melody from, who knows, 40, 50, 100 years ago, the same melody, the same words, and there's no kavana. And what's the point? You are you are guarding a particular melody as if it was given min ashamayim from the sky, from God. And actually, what is given from the sky to us is the chokhmah, the wisdom to pray with intention. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. Rock and roll should definitely be a part of Jewish community, of Jewish experiences, of liturgy, prayer. Amen to that. It's clear that you are passionate about music. So in your eyes or in your thoughts, in your heart, why is music so crucial to connection, to human connection, to Jewish connection, all of it? I really believe in, in, in uh, the richness of learning from each other. Argentinian, American, traveling, listening to other people's experiences and what can I learn, what, what moves you, what moves you Jewishly? What moves me Jewishly? What can we do together? For example, in terms of music, I was able on my 20 years here as a cantor in Temple Sky to introduce many types of music prayers that had a particular Latin vibe. And people loved it because it was totally different uh, and, uh, and, and medium for prayer in general is music. So why not being open and, and diverse about that? There is a, a guy, his name is uh, Yehuda Glantz, an Argentinian musician who lives in Jerusalem for many years. And uh, I remember seeing, uh, watching many years ago, a, a YouTube video of him doing Adon Olam, one of the last uh, renditions of uh, prayer in a service. And uh, he chose to do that Adon Olam with very well-known melody that Everybody uses all around the world, but he did a Latin twist. And that twist was from the aborigines from the north, uh, Salta, Jujuy, and the south of Bolivia as well, uh, using the kena, which is a flute instrument, percussion instrument. And it, it blew my mind because I felt it, I, I connected instantly with that. The Jewish part, the Adonolam, the text, the rhythm, the music. And why not? We have to, to experience Yes, thank you, Pablo. And I know exactly what you're talking about, which song you're talking about uh, regarding you, Huda Glantz's music. And I'll be sure to add a link for folks who are interested in accessing his music to also do that because it truly is remarkable. So I'm going to ask you one more question. Y te la voy a hacer en español. Porque me gustaría que compartas con nosotros qué es lo que más extrañas de vivir en Argentina. ¿Qué es lo que extraño? Lo que extraño no es ni el dulce de leche, ni el asado ni el helado de San Bayón, que es, me encanta todo eso. Lo que más extraño es el calor de los amigos, eh, la naturalidad de la charla, de la relación entre las personas, el, el, el afecto que se vive y que se siente y la importancia que se le da a, a compartir con el otro. Cuando hablo de la gastronomía, dejo bien en claro que más allá de, de lo espectacular de la gastronomía argentina, lo más relevante es el tiempo que la gente dedica a la sobremesa. ¿sí? Que la, la excusa es eh, el flan, el asado, el helado, pero en realidad lo que se trata es compartir. 
compartir, escucharse y divertirse. Thank you, Pablo. And for folks who don't speak Spanish or who didn't get everything that Pablo just said, he mentioned that the things that he misses the most about Argentina are not the delicious food, like he mentioned asado and flan and the ice cream, uh, but really it's about human connection. And it's the effort that Argentines make to sit down with people and to share experiences, to share life. And food is often an excuse in which to do that. And so I really appreciate you bringing that in because that's something that I miss from home. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening can also connect with that experience that you are sharing with us. So thank you for folks who don't already have the Rock and Canters information. We are including all the links in the bio. So please, please be sure to check out Pablo, support Pablo, and connect with Pablo about any type of life experiences that are coming your way where you would like to bring some rock and roll into the experience. Thank you, Ana Lucia, for this wonderful opportunity. And congratulations on the wonderful job you're doing. Thanks, Pablo. Your story is a reminder that no two Latin Jewish stories are alike, which is why it is so important that we continue to lift up as many Latin Jewish stories as possible. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us for episode four of season three of the Voces podcast. We look forward to bringing you one last episode next week to conclude this season. Until next time. Ciao!